This is ASHA Voices. I'm J.D. Gray. Today on the podcast, it's the busy, sweaty, anxious, and rewarding life of the home health SLP. And it only makes sense that we tell the story from the road. So we're going for a ride. So I just realized that today is a home care triple threat. Not only is it Monday, not only is there a pandemic, but it's going to be hot as Hades today. Plus, later in the show, we hear about the emotional impact of home health on patients and SLPs, and we catch up with home health expert Ginny Lear to discuss caseloads and how a recently implemented payment model known as the patient-driven groupings model fits into the puzzle. Hop in, it's Home Health on ASHA Voices. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's new resource, That's Unheard Of. It features a variety of tools developed to help you with practice management, soft skills, and effective treatment. This online resource is available at thatsunheardof.org. Happy Monday, everybody. My name is Samantha. I am a speech-language pathologist with a home care agency in upstate New York, and I'm getting ready to start my day. A couple of weeks ago, Samantha Konsak was kind enough to take us with her to work, so to speak, to highlight the many challenges home health care workers are facing during the pandemic. And it begins right here in my driveway. I'm in my car office, or my carfus as I call it. All my devices are plugged in and charged for the day. Um, I've loaded the trunk of my car with all of my supplies, including my PPE. I've got water, I've got coffee, and I'm about to take my COVID screening now so that I don't forget which designates that I don't have any signs or symptoms of COVID so that I can move about my day and see my patients. Um, I'm about to drop my son off at the babysitter and then we will get rolling. You can hear how the pandemic is changing Samantha's job before she even leaves the driveway. And today she's facing a couple of additional challenges. So I just realized that today is a home care triple threat. Not only is it Monday, Not only is there a pandemic, but it's going to be hot as Hades today. They're saying like real feel of mid 90s. So I've got my lightest colored scrubs that I own. I've got my deodorant on. Let's do this. So it's 9.02. I just got to my first patient and I am completing their COVID screen. So we're doing one of these on every single patient, even if they're regulars for us. And in this case, I work with this family twice a week. Samantha says the screening runs through a series of questions, whether the patient has been tested for COVID and if they have any symptoms like a sore throat, muscle pain, loss of taste or smell. She says she submits the results to the office and they look for any indication the patient should be made a PUI or a patient under investigation. Lately, Samantha says she's finding issues during those screenings. The closer we get to cold and flu season, we're still getting patients who have just the normal everyday end of the summer cold, but we can't tell the difference right now. So it's like red flags are being flown up everywhere. Um, And when you do have somebody who fails the screening, or if you have a family who comes forward and says, hey, I'm going to cancel my speech therapy visit this afternoon because, you know, I have a sore throat. And then all of a sudden, like, warning, warning, all these lights are flashing and you're like, ah, crap. So you have to, you know, fill out a screening, state that they've failed it. And then pretty soon you're going to get a phone call from the office, you know, hey, what's going on over there? Do we need to make this patient a PUI? But my concern is that this is only going to get worse 
as this year progresses and we get closer and closer to cold and flu season, we're going to have this problem a lot. Samantha stays very aware of the surfaces she comes into contact with throughout her day. She says her agency always emphasized infection control, but recently it's been in the forefront of her thoughts. Okay, let's talk bathrooms. It's 10.07. I'm done with my first patient and I already have to go to the bathroom. Um, this has been such a huge problem during the pandemic. Prior to that, I had absolutely no qualms with stopping into public places, my favorite cafe, Dunkin' Donuts, Wendy's, wherever to use the restroom. Never gave it a thought. Well, now it's not really an option. Um, first of all, a lot of public restrooms are actually closed to the public. And even if they are open, there's a good chance that I don't want to use them. I get concerned about the spread of infection. I worry that I'm going to make a mistake. I have no idea who was there before me. And it's just generally not something I want to do. So I either rush back to my office, which isn't always convenient, but sometimes necessary, or I hold it all day long, or I find that I inadvertently dehydrate myself during the day so that I don't put myself in this position while I slammed my last thing of coffee and now here I am. Um, so I guess I'm going to run back to my office, um, which is totally out of my way, and go use it there. Samantha drives everywhere, and she can cover a lot of ground in one day as she drives between three counties in upstate New York. If she's far enough away from the office, she says it's not out of the question for her to use a public restroom or even, in some cases, use the restroom at a patient's home. But that's not her first choice. Greetings from 86 degrees in the shade. Hi, it's about 8 after 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I just finished my third visit of the day. Got some paperwork to catch up on. I'm going to blast my AC and try to get through as much of it as I can. This is one of those times where I really wish there was somewhere I could go an uh, air conditioning to work on this other than my vehicle, but we have to do what we can right now. Um, my last patient, her home was very, very hot and I had my mask and my goggles on and it was just pretty awful. Um, and I know for a fact that the next house is going to be even hotter and I can guarantee it will be very sweaty. Well, it's a little bit after 1.30 and I just got to my next patient's house, which is in a neighborhood. And I thought I found a place to park in the shade and I zipped over there and the mailman stole it. Yeah. Hi, it's 2.55 and I'm a sucker because I got myself another coffee and now I have to go to the bathroom again. So I'm headed back to the office for the second time today. Um, and then I will be heading to my last patient. It is a nice balmy 92 degrees outside right now. Hi, it's about quarter after three. Um, I just got to my last patient's house. It's 94 degrees. It's really awesome. And just when I thought, wow, this Monday's going really smooth, I had to slam on my brakes to avoid running through a red light at an intersection and the tote in the back of my trunk that houses all of my supplies went flying 
tipped over and there are little packages of individually wrapped sandy wipes sliding all over my back seat um, all of my workbooks are floating around back there there's a bunch of barriers um, so I just got to my last patient's house and I went out there to start to pick all of it up and I had my tie mask surgical mask in my hand and a car drove by and the wind caught it and <laughs> ripped it right out of my hands and it went floating down the road like a little mini parachute so I had to chase after that and obviously throw it away and get a new one but at least it's the end of the day there's no shade in sight here so that will be fun um, coming back to a super hot car other than that looking forward to getting home When COVID first hit and they basically released us back into the wild and were like, okay, you know, you can start seeing patients again, we were wearing N95 masks for everything. So once they lifted, like they chipped away at that and said, okay, you know, we think it's okay now. You don't need to wear those N95 masks unless you see a COVID patient. And we moved to just regular old surgical masks. I was so happy. It was like, I thought, oh my God, this is so great. Like I can wear this lightweight mask. It, it will be wonderful with the summer heat coming. And it is, it's much better. But the tie back face masks, I think because it just hugs so much more closely to your face and because you've got these straps like going behind your neck um, and over the back of your head, they're very suffocating and you can't like really adjust them or even like pull them out a little bit to catch a breath of fresh air without untying them so it's like this whole other level of complication but I definitely don't look a gift horse in the mouth I'm super appreciative that we're even given all this PPE I know some therapists out there are buying their own so I definitely like I said I I will do whatever needs to be done and try not to complain too much <laughs> but they're they're pretty awful <laughs> Whew, the day is over uh it's just before 4 30 it is incredibly hot out uh, my car says 98 I am parked in full sun um, the air conditioner just isn't cutting it and wearing that tie back surgical mask during this last visit was absolutely ridiculous um sweat just dripping everywhere um I found myself just kind of getting back away from the patient as far as I could and kind of untying the bottom straps just to allow some air to circulate it was really really warm um so now it's the end of the day I honestly don't have it in me to finish my documentation because it's just too stinking hot I can't concentrate so I'm gonna go home and finish a little bit of it later I get really nervous at the end of the day when it's time for me to go pick up my son. I definitely have fleeting thoughts about my scrubs and what has happened to them throughout the day, but I have not come up with a solution to this. There's nowhere to change my clothing. I really, I don't really have a choice, especially when it's this hot. I'm not wearing double layers and taking one off so that when I see him, I have something clean on. I, that's just not feasible, especially not today. I am going to my in-laws, that's where he is, and I have thought about changing my clothing in their bathroom, but I, I feel really bad doing that too. I'd rather kind of just get in and out without touching surfaces in their home. 
When Samantha arrives home, she says she spends about 10 minutes sanitizing her equipment. In the beginning, it took longer, but she's found ways to make the process more efficient. Well, after I get my kid inside, before I take my scrubs off, I go to the trunk of my car and I just wipe everything down. Down all the door handles, the steering wheel, the seat, my cup holders, the kind of high-touch areas in the back. I have a... Um, I bought a new home health bag when all of this like went crazy. I got those like plastic stadium bags that they make people carry into like football games and concerts that are clear um, because I thought that would be really easy to wipe down. So I, I wipe that thing down inside and out. Um, I re-clean all of my vitals equipment even though I've done it after every patient. I wipe down my blood pressure cuff, my stethoscope, my thermometer, any of the therapy materials that I bring in which are all laminated now. That's something new too. So I wipe down all of my laminated sheets just to get ready for the next day. Early on when this showed up in upstate New York, I was very nervous. I was first relieved when our case managers called and, you know, basically said we're going to pare down everybody's caseload as far as possible. We, you know, want you in these homes using PPE only when there's a dire situation. So that was relieving. But then after they kind of gave us the green light to start rolling again, I got really nervous. Um, my husband and I, our parents are in that risk age group. You know, they're in their 60s. That seems to be one of the demographics that this virus affects the most. Um, so I was really nervous. Um, my mother-in-law has some serious lung conditions and they, once they realized that I was being floated and deployed to the hospitals to cover inpatient, they got very nervous and we actually didn't see them for about five weeks and they were devastated. You know, they didn't get to see their grandson, but they thought they were doing what was right to keep them safe. So that was hard. You know, I felt bad. I felt like a lot of that was my fault, but now I understand, you know, and I think we've all come to an agreement that we can't live life like that, you know? So I, I do everything that I can to protect everybody who I am around just to try to ensure that I don't pass this virus along. But my mother-in-law is right. We can't live life like that. We have to just try to do the best we can and move on. You know, we're still definitely social distancing and isolating. We're not doing what we once were, but we, you know, we have to keep our family circle together. We can't live without seeing each other. That's just crazy. Not only that, but they're 50% of my daycare. I couldn't go back to work. So it was like, I felt trapped. Um, you know, it's like, we have to do something. I either have to go back or I have to stay home or I don't know what to do. Um, so that was definitely tough, for sure. But we're so much better now. I think we've all come to an understanding months later. Things are much easier. Samantha Konsak, she's a home health SLP working in upstate New York. Panic, anxiety, that can be part of it. When we come back, we're going to hear more about the emotional side of home health. First, a quick break. Support for Asha Voices comes from Asha's new resource, That's Unheard Of. It's always important to check for blind spots in your practice. That's Unheard Of features a variety of tools developed to support you in practice management, soft skills, and effective treatment. They're quick and easy to use. Learn more at that'sunheardof.org. 
For Lauren Sharp, the one-on-one relationship she develops with her patients is one of her favorite parts about working in home health. Lauren is an SLP working in South Carolina. She says that some of her patients were scared the first time they saw her in full PPE. Some patients turned her away because of fears over the virus. But for others, Lauren acted as a lifeline. In a given week, she may have been the only person they saw from outside their home. A lot of these patients, um, well, all of them, are homebound already, which means that because of either whether it's physical or cognitive, for whatever reason, they cannot go out into the community by themselves or they require a lot of assistance. So they're already homebound, and um, a lot of them don't have family that live with them or because of this time the family is, you know, not able to come visit. So I think that it's been very scary for them in that sense. And, you know, a lot of them, I was the only person that they would see for a week or two weeks at a time. And, you know, so really I was having to do roles that sometimes the family would do. Um, For a lot of patients, when I did my screening the night before, I would ask them simply, you know, can I pick up anything for you, you know, bread or water or, you know, do you need anything? And a lot of times they did, even if it's simply as, when I get to the home, making sure they have doctor's appointments set up or calling the pharmacy and making sure they have their medicines, whatever they need that their family couldn't provide at that time. And then sometimes they were lonely and my visit was what they looked forward to the most for that whole month or week or however long. What's it like to play a role like that in their life? Um, it's very rewarding. Sometimes it gets a little bit emotionally, you know, draining sometimes, but just you have a sense of importance and a sense of you're needed and not just to go into the home and do typical speech therapy, but you're going into that house and you are making sure that that person is okay and being able to leave there knowing that you followed all the protocols you were supposed to, but also that you made a difference in that patient's life that day. There's different things I try to do, you know, to make sure that even if it's a hard session or a hard day that I end with a positive note that they can, you know, look forward to for the next time. Can you give me an example? A lot of the patients that have been, they've been very frustrated with, especially with me having to wear a mask. So a lot of the patients that cannot um, speak or, you know, they have praxia or they're not able to make these movements, they've become very, very frustrated not being able to see my mouth. And that's really hard. I wouldn't take the mask off because I don't want to expose them. So leaving it on, and I've seen a lot of them become frustrated and cry. So one thing that I like to do is have the patient sing. And so at the end of the session, we sing this little light of mine. And even for these patients that may not be able to say words, they can always usually sing the song because that's something that's automatic. So just seeing them being able to sing along and they just get this joy and spark in their eyes because it's uplifting and it's, you know, we always end on that note. And just seeing their smile and the fear just kind of diminish from their eyes is, you know, rewarding. And I think it makes a big difference for them. You sing with them? Yes. Yeah, that's nice. (laughs) I personally am not great at singing, but with the patients, um, they a lot of these patients are you know, they used to be in the choir or some of them were even maybe performance singers and seeing them get this ability back, they love it. And the family members, the family members, it, I can't tell you how many have just burst into tears when the patient starts singing and 
another family, they had a grandson come in, and it was his birthday. And I said, well, why don't we sing happy birthday? And everybody kind of looked at me like, well, she can't speak. How in the world is she going to do that? And so we sang it together, and the grandson burst into tears and just went over and hugged his grandma because that's the first thing he's heard her say in probably years. So it's it helps. It's a therapy, but it also is very touching for the family as well. Sounds like a very powerful moment. Yes, it, it is. You've talked a little bit about the emotional side for the patients that you work with. I'm wondering about for yourself, um, has this been challenging emotionally to work through the pandemic? Yes. So you can feel isolated sometimes, but I feel like especially during this time, when I'm seeing patients and I'm out in the field, I'm good. That's what I'm focused on. But then, you know, when you leave at the end of the day, you hear the news and you see all these, you know, precautions and it, it just, it gets really scary. You know, it's, been very emotionally challenging. Now when I get home from work, besides spending hours cleaning, I've started walking and riding my bike and a lot of praise and worship music um, in the car in between visits, uh, just to kind of be able to separate the virus. And even for everyone, I know the virus is scary, but I think especially for healthcare workers, you want to provide the best care, but then at the same time, there's always the risk of being exposed, and so it can be scary. What are you thinking about at the end of the day? Sometimes it's praying that I don't get a call that anyone that I saw that day might have been positive. Sometimes it's planning for the next day, um, getting ready for those patients and, and calling them, and then just hoping that I didn't let the emotion and the fear show from me too much, that I you know, really made a difference that day in those patients. And just being able to wake up the next day and do it all over again. If you're looking for resources related to self-care and taking care of your mental health, you can find information that addresses loss and grief, isolation and loneliness, and more at ASHA.org. You'll also find phone numbers you can call if you're seeking help. We'll put a link to those resources on the blog post for this episode as well. That's at leader.pubs.asha.org. We round out today's episode with a conversation with Jenny Lear. Jenny is an SLP with more than 15 years of experience in home health. She trains field clinicians for a large healthcare company that provides inpatient and home-based care. Jenny was most recently on the podcast in April for a conversation about the Patient-Driven Groupings Model, or PDGM, a payment model implemented by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. I asked Jenny about the kind of impact she's seen as a result of PDGM this year. Oh, wow. You and I were talking just before this that, you know, we thought that that was going to be the big news, PDGM, for the year. And and we started off out the gate and on January 1, bracing ourselves and ready for the struggle. And it has been a struggle financially, I think, most of all out there in this industry and home health agencies trying to mitigate, finding ways to adjust so that they can, you know, continue to stay in business. And right before the pandemic, lots of stories of clinicians, speech language pathologists, losing benefits, cutting hours, cutting salaries, cutting pay, in some cases losing their jobs altogether because of the effects of of PDGM. But we started off the year 
uh, already very rocky. And then in comes the pandemic and then further cut in the census and further cuts in the referrals coming in. And so um, exponentially, it's been a, a, a tougher year than I think anyone ever thought it would be. And I do think, though, that home health agencies out there, the more, more the big guys rather than the mom and pops are finally finding ways to adapt and adjust and quite, quite nicely, I should say, and are able to find ways to get these patients on board and getting the patient seen. So I think there's a, a slow rebound from the first of the year, but we definitely took more of a hit because of the pandemic on top of PDGM. You know, I have heard stories of some agencies needing to hire because they've had increased referrals after from folks who presumably didn't want their family to go into a, a nursing facility, but would rather them go to home health. I'm wondering if some of the impact of PDGM is not quite as clear right now because it's coinciding with this pandemic. Yes, I, I agree. I think one of the challenges that happened was that when PDGM came into effect in January, and even before January 2020, uh, home health agencies were beginning to implement, you know, processes to br- bracing for the impact by furloughing clinicians, so reducing their staff. And a lot of agencies, instead of getting rid of staff, they reduced hours lowered productivity expectations, but then, you know, reduced the hours and reduced salaries. So then when the pandemic happened, and then all of a sudden we start to see an an increase in the referrals, a lot of agencies are scrambling because, oh, we got got rid of these, you know, clinicians. Now what are we going to do? Because we have to, we have to take care of these patients. So I think it's very difficult because if the pandemic didn't happen, I'm not sure that we would we would see this increase in need for speech language pathologists. Um, maybe there's a that's a silver lining to the pandemic. I don't know, um, but if the pandemic hadn't occurred, I think there would still be a lot of S. There still are a lot of SLPs who are struggling out there personally, financially because of PDGM, but I think the pandemic um, helped a little bit as far as needing more resources, more SLPs out there. So I think it's really difficult to tell um, how, you know, how the industry is doing. I think it's hard to parse out. I'm sure there, that there are agencies, I know large agencies, the company I work for, I know knows exactly uh, where it stands as far as how we would be with or without the pandemic with regard to PDGM. But I haven't seen anything out there recently in the literature, any facts or data about what we would be like without the pandemic. Near the end of our conversation, I asked if Ginny thought any changes we've seen as a result of the pandemic might stick around. She said she thought many of them would. I think another thing that's um, come to light just is being more prepared. I think agencies 
were really caught off guard as a whole across the industry with regard to the pandemic coming and they were not prepared for something like this to happen. And I know darn well now that every agency out there is going to have an emergency stash of PPE, uh, of face shields and goggles, etc. So I, I think this pandemic will has helped us and will help us in the future dealing with crises out there. Other changes, there have been some, a few changes, um, temporary changes that Medicare has made with regard to processing, billing, and claims, and they've laxed, you know, they've lifted a, a few restrictions out there just uh, because they know that th- there's a lot of hurdles that we have to jump through to process claims, etc., and and get the job done. They've relaxed some of the regulations with regard to who can do a start of care assessment in the home. A lot of these changes they say are temporary, but I'm I'm not I'm I'm not convinced that they'll be temporary. I have a feeling that there will be some of these changes will become permanent in the future, which is good for the, there's some good things that that they have lifted for our industry. Jenny, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a healthy and safe and wonderful rest of the year. Yes, I I hope the same for you and everyone out there. I hope it's um, uneventful rest of the year. ASHA Voices is produced by the American Speech-Language Hearing Association and comes from the team behind the ASHA Leader magazine. Support for ASHA Voices comes from ASHA's new resource, That's Unheard Of. This online resource has a variety of tools to help with your practice management, soft skills, and effective treatment. Learn more at thatsunheardof.org. Production assistance for ASHA Voices comes from Pamela Lawrence. I'm J.D. Gray, and this is ASHA Voices.